0: Is a momentum media production. Nerd Alert! Property Nerds. (laughs) The home for data driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, (laughs) latest headlines and trends.
1: Welcome on board, this is uh, Arjun here from the Property Nerds podcast and we're back again for another episode and this time I've got a special guest who I'll introduce very shortly. But before we get into the episode, I've got a few exciting things to share. There are our most recent white paper releases which I know you all who tune in absolutely love. So firstly, massive thank you to all for all the downloads, all the reviews, all the kind emails about it. These next two research papers are going to be the most fire ones coming out, and I promise. Now, to give you some context on these two papers coming out, number one is this paper is the rental markets analysis. And if you recall about this time, sort of 13, 14 months ago, we were featured on the Weekend Today show, and we shared more about the rental crisis in Australia. And off the back of that show, there were a few predictions made. The first was rents are going to go ballistic, and they did. The second one was Adelaide would be the nation's best performing capital city and grow double digits. Now, had to put my neck out on the line for that one, but fortunately it happened. Both of those things happened in terms of the double digit growth for 2022 and the top performing capital city. The third one was the call on Sydney's recovery. But most importantly, we also talked about Sydney's decline in that particular one for 2022. So why I say all that is that research paper that we talked about to uncover rental market movements is now out. And you can go and get the free copy of that research paper, which is on investigate.com.au forward slash research. And then there's the white papers tab, totally free for you all to get. Now, we've also got the second research paper that will come out probably late August, so just a little bit after this episode does go live. And with that particular one, that's on Australia's housing fundamentals. Now, that's the particular research paper where, again, it's a rerun. This time last year, we had that research paper release, and it was the one that actually said inflation would come to a peak at quarter four 2022, uh, which occurred. And we also talked about how the housing market declines would be short-lived, which occurred. The next thing is we also went through pressure right rankings for each of the markets across the top 25 largest sort of size cities. And we had a 91% accuracy rating for markets that we felt would surge in value in the face of rising interest rates. So that particular research report that's coming out in the next week or two, following this podcast coming out is the Australian Housing Fundamentals. And we talk about the same over twenty-three fundamentals in the country, which ones are looking hot, not so good, average, okay. And that's what we love, right? This is the property nodes. We love to point out the goods, the bads, the fair, the balanced, and that's what true data lovers do. We're not just talking one-sided. We aren't just real estate agents. As like as many people say, that's something where you see greens everywhere on a scorecard if you're if you're looking at that perspective. But there's nothing to sell you in these research papers. They're all information for you to go download, get ahead on your journey and uh, yeah, get the best insights you can to make the best possible decisions. So I'm very excited for that. That is the white paper out now and the white paper coming out. There are two biggest releases each year and you can go get your hands on them totally for free. Thank you for everyone that you know downloaded those last year and all the months of research papers coming out. These are my two favorites, so go get yourselves a copy. But today's episode, is a lot cooler than a couple of research papers. Today's episode, I'm joined by Bushy Martin. He's a friend of mine and a fellow podcaster. And and I'm pretty positive that everyone here tuning in would have heard from Bushy Martin at some point or will moving forward because his presence in today's episode is going to be very special, especially with what he's achieved and what he helps many other people achieve. Because when you look at what we do with investing, very few people invest just to invest. There's usually a lifestyle that's by design, keyword that many people are trying to seek, and that involves property as a vehicle for it. And there's no one better here than having Bushy Martin, who's not only achieved that for himself to a level that many hope to achieve, including myself from property investing, but he's also someone that helps many others do it. And as you know, whilst yes, I run a property company called InvestorKit, at the end of the day, bias shouldn't exist in someone's ethos when they're looking to help people and help can come in all shapes and sizes and it can come from people of different walks of life, different backgrounds and people who have different sets of skills and lots of experience in this world and that's what this show is all about. Getting you the numbers, getting all nerdy but also getting the right people on who've done it, been there, walked it and Bushy is one of those people. Now who is he? He's the founder of Know How Property Finance Strategists and he's actually the anchor of Australia's longest running and most popular property show, which is called Realty Talk. Now, he's also the host of the Get Invested podcast and an award-winning author of The Freedom Formula. Now, that Freedom Formula authorship and his podcast have actually made him known as one of Australia's top 10 property specialists. Now, what's his mission? Like us, he wants to help a lot of people and no doubt he has already and will ahead, but he's on a mission to wake up and shake up the hardworking Aussie families to get invested in their future, to attain and maintain, keywords, ideal lifestyles. Bushy, welcome on the show.
0: Really uh, humbled and privileged to join you, Arjun. We both share a very similar vision, and I, I love the work that uh, you and your team are doing, Arjun. Uh, I'm a big reader of, of your white papers, and as you know, I've had you uh, on Realty Talk on a number of times to talk about the white papers and the impacts of those white papers, so uh, it's great to be joining with a fellow property nerd. And uh, I know we're going to have a lot of fun during the conversation, mate.
1: Well, I know the fellow nerds tuning in are going to absolutely love it. They're all property data lovers, just like yourself, my friend. And I guess before we get into the show, you've got to break the news on one part. How did the name Bushy come about? I don't think I've ever asked you. Could you give me some insight here? We've we got to, we've got to get deep into that.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, spot on, mate. It's really simple, actually. I'm a, a boy from the bush. So I was born in a tiny, two-horse town in Western Victoria called Garoke. And most people will go, Garoke what, Garoke who, Garoke where? <laughs> uh, so uh, that's part of the exercise. The, the other part, I guess, Arjun, is that my good father was the original Bushy Senior, and uh, he was born back in the days when uh, short back and sides was all a go. This is in between the First World War and the Second World War, and because he had such a, a – probably a mullet before mullets were even a thing, he got called Bushy Tail. And, uh, the bushy tail got dropped and it just stayed as bushy. And, and he was known as bushy all of his life. I was always, when I arrived on the scene, I was the firstborn. So I was bushy junior. And, uh, when my good father passed away back in the mid 2000s, as really as a legacy piece to, to him, Arjun, I just dropped the junior and, and maintained the bushy tag. And, uh, so every time you call me bushy, I think very fondly of my old man.
1: Uh, it's a very touching, very touching story, mate. And, I think, um, when it, when it comes to, you know, the experience you have in you as well, not from just family milestones like that and what's occurred, the ups and downs, but where you are today on your journey is a big part of why I also wanted to bring you on selfishly. I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to learn a lot. And I think that's where the best podcasts come out where it's not just questioning you for the audience, but it's questioning for you for me. And hopefully by me learning a lot, everyone else tuning in is going to learn a lot because. I guess one thing that many people before we jump into this all confuse with property investing is how quick they think things happen. And whilst, yes, we have the COVID boom we've come off and, or still kind of in, if you think of that last year as a pause, right? At the same time, many people think of things happening really quickly. And I don't want to give a spoiler alert here, but you know, you've got a few grays on your mate and things probably don't happen as quick as everyone believes them to be. And so as a result, I want to, You know, use this session today just to go deep into thinking of the multi six figure passive income you've achieved on your journey and stripping it right back down. So the fellow nerds, the fellow data lovers who tune into the property nerd show can start to walk away. And why don't we step in with the numbers? Right. In terms of you're an investor, you're a very successful investor and you're talking about the concept. I love hearing you talk about, which is designing the ideal lifestyle. What are some of the key numbers and metrics, if we get into it, that investors tuning in should have front of mind when they're on their design phase? Because that, to me, is a very difficult exercise, and many people still can just be wandering with it and not quite get anywhere tangible with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me let me first, I guess, just give you a better impression of what I mean when I talk about living by design, Arjun, uh, because... You know, my background was as an architect, so I I spent my whole life—now, 17 years—before I hit a ground zero moment at the tender age of 33, and virtually had to start again, which is when my true investment journey started. But the whole fabric of being an architect is all about being very clear in your imagination about what the future looks like. Uh, So, when you're designing a building or designing a bunch of buildings, you're visualizing very clearly what that building is going to look like before you've even put pen to paper. And I guess without uh, being aware of it, when I started seriously on my property investment journey, my now partner in all things, Sonia, and I sat down together and we spent some time working out exactly how did we want to live and then worked out what does that lifestyle cost? And that's become both the compass and the magnet for everything that we've done since that. So the living by design piece really is just really living with intent because uh, you would see this all the time too, Arjun. Uh, There are so many people that we catch up with. And the first question we ask them when they come to talk to us about property is what's your ideal lifestyle look like? And 99% of those people almost look at me like I've got two heads and go, what the hell are you talking about, Bushy? I've never actually thought about that before. And what's that got to do with property? My view of that, Arjun, is everything. Because if you don't know where you're heading, you don't know what strategy and approach you need to adopt to make that happen. So uh, the living by design piece in that context is really foundational. It is starting with the end in mind, and it's keeping in mind that uh, it acts as both that magnus and compass. So a magnet in terms of if it's vivid and attractive enough then you're going to crawl over broken glass and walk across hot coals and ride over the inevitable speed bumps that you're going to incur on your property journey to make it happen. But it also means that it becomes a compass because every day-to-day decision is then based on whether it's taking you closer to or further away from where you actually want to and how you want to live. One thing I want to challenge everyone listening is to actually spend some time, sit down with your partner, put a line through an afternoon and get really excited about exactly what your perfect day, your perfect week, your perfect month, and your perfect year looks like. Are you travelling? Who are you with? What are you doing? Because once you get really excited about that, it's very easy to monetize that and then work out what that means as a starting point for looking at your property investment strategy. So let me take you through that in a bit of detail because living by design is also, I use the expression quite often about becoming passive-aggressive when you decide to invest. And what I mean about that is being aggressive about pursuing passive income opportunities. So the three things that are key to living by design is that everything that you invest your time, energy, and money in needs to tick three key boxes, and that is it needs to create residual income, it needs to grow in value, and it needs to be scalable and saleable. So if you're spending time thinking about that and you're getting really crystal clear about what your ideal lifestyle looks like, That then forms the basis of what we like to call your freedom numbers. And the freedom numbers really become the goalposts and and the measuring stick to gauge how your investments are actually progressing. So let me put a little bit of shape around that now for you and the listeners, Arjun, in terms of what that actually means. So let's say you've worked out what your ideal lifestyle looks like. You're able to then establish six key numbers that are going to be the guiding GPS for your ongoing exercise, not a roadmap. It's a GPS Mm. because things will change. Uh, Property conditions will change. Your lifestyle aspirations will change. But if you've at least got a set of goalposts and a GPS that's that's allowing you to tack and retrack and still centre on your end destination, you're going to get there. So those freedom numbers that come out of your ideal lifestyle are your lifestyle income, and there's really six key numbers. Lifestyle income, your break-free timeline, the nest egg number, you're doing nothing different income. The gap between what it is and what you want it to be. And then what falls out of that is your freedom number. So let, let me give you a quick example of that Arjun yeah. so that it actually makes some sense. So let's say that in, in 20 years time, I want to have a passive income of 200 grand a year. So yeah. what that's telling us is that my lifestyle income, my ideal lifestyle income is 200 grand. Now, uh, to get to 200 grand again, using some pretty base assumptions, let's use a 5% a net yield on whatever you invest in, whether that be property, shares, cash, super, combination of the above, then that means that your nest egg number to give you that lifestyle income at a 5% yield needs to be $4 million in income-producing assets. Now, I want to emphasize the word income-producing because a lot of people mistakenly think that their home is a an asset, and to some degree yeah. it is. But in, in my view, you should completely isolate your owner-occupied home from your other investment assets because, one, uh, you want to put a moat and a security wall around the home. You want to eliminate all the debt on the property so that if the world goes to hell, no one can touch you as far as the home goes. And we all know that an asset, if we use those passive-aggressive indicators I talked about, it's not an investment in the context It doesn't actually give you an income. Your own home actually costs you money each and every year that you hold it. So it's important to make that distinction straight up front. But the next key freedom number that you need to focus on is what's your break-free timeline? Now, I'm talking about years here. So Again, we'll get into this a little bit later, but my own belief, having done a lot of research on property movements in areas right across the country over the last 45 to 50 years, is that the average time it takes an area to go through its full cycle is around about 15 years.
1: Amen. Thank you for saying that, Bushy, because everyone keeps getting stuck to this bogus 10-year thing. It's not. And uh, you look back at compound averages, you could pick a market and choose a 10-year period and be lucky. But when you go back 30, 40, 50 years, And if you take out certain segments, it's usually that sort of 12, 15, 16, and then that's when something has enough time to do it. So thank you for pulling that out as well.
0: Well, and and uh, I think that's a really important point because, as you say, there's a lot of spruikers out there who keep talking about this magic 10 years. Now, you might get lucky, as you say, and there's lies, lies, and and uh, statistics that you can actually choose to uh, vindicate your own argument. here. But if you actually look at the real numbers across the board, a minimum of 15 years is what it takes. And the important thing about the 15 years, I think, particularly for time-poor investors who are adopting more of a – a buy or build and hold mentality, then if you accept that it's going to take a minimum of 15 years to achieve the sorts of results you after, what it also does, uh, if you're embracing time as your friend rather than your enemy, and we all know that in this current instant iPhone everything age that everyone wants it yesterday, yet alone today, but if we're adopting and embracing time as our friend in that context, then what it does is it desensitises the need to buy at the bottom and sell at the top. Because if we know that over that 15-year period it's going to go through its full cycle and you basically set things up from affordability perspective so that the properties are looking out for themselves where you're continuing to enjoy life and not being forced to live on baked beans and dog food for the period that you hold on to the properties, then all of a sudden it gets a lot easier. So that break-free timeline is really important. And as I say, the 15-year exercise I think is a minimum that people need to be embracing that. What that then, once we've got those three numbers, the lifestyle income, the nest egg number and the break free timeline, the next thing we need to do is based on your existing assets. So the super, the cash, any shares you might have in existing property outside of the family home, project forward over that timeline. Let's say it's 15 years to look at what that means. So let's take an example, Arjun. Let's say I've got 20 grand in super. I've got five grand in shares and about 30 grand in cash sitting in an offset account. Now, over that 15 year period, based on average growth rates and then subtracting inflation, and I'm I'm only using uh, 3% as the guiding inflation rate over that time. If we project that forward, then those assets I talk about, they're currently worth about 235 grand. Well, in 15 years time, taking out the inflation factor, they're going to be worth about 640 grand. Now, 640 grand, of course, is a long way short of the 4 million. That we need to be creating over that period to put ourselves in a position where we can start enjoying our ideal lifestyle and not trading our time for money in a job. So if we do nothing differently, that 640 grand, again gain of a 5% yield is going to give us a do nothing differently income of around about 32 grand a year, which is uh, under what the current pension is for a couple, which is about 35 Grand or thereabouts and that's pretty normal for most people that uh, you and I would see Arjun when they first front up if you actually project out because I what I always say to people is well let's look at your current position project it out how long you need to if your nest egg is going to be at the size it needs to you don't need to invest at all. But if it's short, how much is it short? And what does that mean in terms of what you need to do? So if we're using that example, 32 grand, it certainly isn't going to be enough to give you much of an income. And it's a long way short of the 200 grand that you need. That means that the future gap in 15 years time is 3.4 million. And if we take inflation off that figure to amortize it back to what does it mean in today's dollars? So the net present value. Of those numbers, then you're short by just over 1.5 mil. And 1.5 mil in freedom number property terms is somewhere between two to four properties to make that happen. So while the headline numbers look scary, if you've got enough time, and this is where time is a big ingredient in all of this, then for most people, somewhere between two to four properties should get them pretty close to where they need to be.
1: Well, that's a good point on like the whole time aspect here and taking 15 years as this benchmark. You're actually almost saying you could treat like your period of acquisition as a separate period and then just add 15 to it. So you could go, hey, almost I'm going to buy over the next five years. And then I add a 15 period wealth kind of building number and I've got a 20 year plan. Or I buy over the next 10 years in case it takes me a little bit longer to save deposits, equity, income. And then I add my 15. I've got a 25 year plan. And this sort of, this sort of simplifies it. And I guess the way that you're bringing it down to it as well is, did you notice that you didn't use any crazy numbers like five, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty, thirty 10, 20, 30 properties? And sometimes even I can be guilty of this with my own portfolios when I talk about it, it can sometimes come off with this feeling like everyone has to have 10, 15, 20. I'm just a madman with crazy goals and I just have no stop button in me, which is both a gift and a curse. Vishen, I'm here to tell you that. But the truth is when I break down what I actually live on, I'm probably okay, as you said, with three, four, five. And so it's such a good point that you just give that out because that to me just shows there's the formula to it, but there's also the simplicity to it to realize you're not miles away. It's
0: spot on, and that's a really key point, I think, uh, Arjun, because uh, I get very frustrated hearing about the, and I excuse my French, Arjun, but, but the biggest dickus uh, spruikers out there who are bragging about how, how many properties they've got—it's not the number of properties that's important; it's the quality of those properties, and it's the value of those properties, and the growth drivers that are sitting behind that are that are the absolute keys. So I, I think uh, there's a lot of ego in the the property piece to some degree. If we get over ourselves and get beyond that to look at what do we really need to live the way we do, and embrace time as our friend, then it's not that difficult a walk if we uh, start to make that journey. so And it's also important because those freedom numbers that I spoke about also help you establish where you are on what I call the wealth by stealth capital growth to cash flow curve. And, again, I I detail this a fair bit in my book, The Freedom Formula. But in really simple terms, Arjun, if your nest egg number is below what it needs to be at the projected uh, break free timeline, then you need to focus on affordable growth. And I underline the word affordable growth there, of course, because if you're going for growth, but it's costing you a, a bomb, and you are living on toast and two-minute noodles while you hold on to those properties, then you're not likely to last a distance. So that affordability piece and structuring your portfolio, both from a rental yield, uh, depreciation, the uh, finance capacity, and everything else, is really key around minimising that ongoing weekly holding cost. Uh, so that's important at that stage. But if your projected nest egg number is above where it needs to be or equal to it, then your focus needs to be on cash flow. And that that tends to drive the types of properties that you need to focus on. So if you're on the growth accumulation phase of your journey, then and you would know this far better than I as a a renowned buyer's agent, Arjun, but three to four bedroom homes in tightly held areas with growing income demographics, uh, generally uh, perform much better from a growth perspective if you're at the cash flow end of the journey. And again, one of the key things that I've learned over the time is that you go for growth and then you convert to cash flow. So don't kid yourself into thinking that buying these properties and then just eliminating the debt and then living off the rents going to be enough to fund your lifestyle because it's it's not going to be anywhere near that level. But what property is ideally placed for in Australia is to grow the nest egg. And then in the lead up to when you're going to reduce work and, and after, do a progressive rationalisation of the portfolio and then uh, transform your portfolio into a cash flow-based exercise. Now, that can be moving from houses into units, apartments, commercial properties, index funds. Uh, again, the one thing I want to underline with every, everything we're saying here, Arjun, is that I'm not a believer in creating a second job when I invest because time is my most precious asset. The thing I enjoy doing is sharing knowledge like you're doing on this podcast. I don't want to be spending all of my time pouring over Excel spreadsheets and talking to people uh, to manage the portfolio. So make sure that whatever you invest in matches the time that you have and the time that you want to put into managing the exercise. Because for me, I just want to manage the managers. I want to know enough about what I'm doing to be able to sift the uh, sheep from the goats when it comes to the information that people are telling me. But beyond that, I want to have faith and trust in the independent professional team that I've got around me to make sure that my property is doing the right thing so I can put my energy into things that I really enjoy doing, which is friends, family, and talking to people like you.
1: Well, my friend, you've, you've crafted this long-term approach. You've crafted a plan that gives you clarity because it sounds like what we're all talking about here is reverse engineering 101, yeah. right? On, on. And that's what clarity does. And there's this concept I remember from my time back in CBA. It's called the success triangle, clarity, capability, motivation. And without all three of them, you can't get ahead. So now got clarity going, right? And we're getting some insights here. Motivation, I'm sure if you leave a session where you fall in love with the future you, the scenario you, the the dream by design, a uh, design lifestyle, you start to come back and you, you start to look at your capability because now you've got the clarity and motivation. Now, when people are on that capability of execution, Bushy, there's a certain question that I found like it's probably more important that you share insights on this than anyone else, especially with the experience and time that you've got. The last 20, 30 years, Bushy, you would have seen all sorts of shiny objects. I'm talking the houses first, then came the high-rises, and then came the duplexes, the triplexes, the house and grannies, the NDIS, the co-living. I could go on here, but everything that sounds super sexy on an advertisement thrown in your way, what do you do to keep yourself a, sanity checking which ones are legit or not, and B, staying the track and ensuring you don't get shiny object syndrome. Were there certain things you'd look at or do that kept you in check? Because I'm sure everyone who's a podcast lover is probably also targeted by 30 or 40 different things. And I just want to get your thoughts from your wealth of experience.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point because it's very sexy. One thing I guess I've got to say from the outset is that good investment isn't sexy. It's like, watching grass grow and paint dry. And in fact, if it is exciting, then you're probably not going to make any money. You know, I'm not I'm not the first person so to come to that conclusion. If you look at every successful investor, they adopt pretty much the same attitude. But the one thing that's really key, I think, in all of this, Arjun, is to use a telescope, not a microscope. Now, what I see people doing is taking a microscopic, instant uh, attitude to everything they're looking at which means that they are open to the next shiny thing that's coming along. But if you're stepping back and taking a telescope view where, and and again, comes back to that break-free timeline, that's 15 years or more, uh, then I don't get distracted by the current noise or the inevitable short-term fluctuations that occur in property conditions around the country at all. But it is important that you can't better what you don't measure. So I guess I adopt a, a macro, micro, micro assessment. And when buying or selling property, so the, the only times I'm really focused on what's happening in property conditions is either when I'm buying a property or when I'm selling a property. If I've done the right due diligence on the property, the last thing I want to do is start playing around with that midstream. So it's make it happen and then let it happen in terms of once you're into the property exercise. But if you're buying and selling, the, the key metrics that I, I like to focus on are what I call the three P's and the three I's. So the three P's really about the key aspects. And, and again, I, this is not original, but the likes of John Linderman and other property analysts uh, focus on these aspects. The three P's are people, purchasing power, and property supply. So again, no word. Uh, Rocket science in any of this. People is about population changes. So you've got to focus on where the population's moving to and taking advantage of that. The purchasing power is about capacity and affordability. So that's focusing on income demographics in an area. So an area's got to have strong and growing incomes to support the increase in values. And then the property side is about the demand and supply equation. So Again, number of listings, days on market, rental vacancy rates are important in that. But that needs to be supported by what I call the three eyes of growth. And that is new and committed infrastructure, strong and diverse industry growth, supported by strong income demographics. So the infrastructure is generally got to be committed road and rail, it's opening areas. The technology impact needs to be really important in that. And then that's got to be supported by that diversity of industry. So we want to have uncorrelated industries in an area so that it's not totally reliant on one sector. So, you know, Perth paid the price for that back in 2011-12 when it was so focused on resources that as soon as the resource exercise fell off the cliff, so did the property values. So having that diversity of industry is really key and and WA has certainly learned some lessons from that and we, we're seeing that happen now in what's happening with property in that particular sector. But from an income perspective, uh, looking at the demographics that we can get from ABS and a whole bunch of other sources gives us a lot of confidence around the strength and the growth of the income that's going to support that property value growth over time. So they're, they're probably the key metrics that help me to analyse that in the context of those freedom numbers. So once we're into the property, all I'm worried about is the freedom numbers. And I don't check it too often. Arjun, that, you know, as soon as you start checking something too often, it's like buying shares and then watching the share price every day. What you tend to do is you want to start making it happen rather than letting it happen, and that's very dangerous. I used to day trade when I was at ground zero and before I got into property, and and my means of actually getting our first deposit from a property, I actually day traded CFDs in the share market, and that was a roller coaster ride like no other, Arjun. Uh, absolutely no question around that. But the benefit of uh, basically making sure you're doing really detailed due diligence at the start of the process, and then having confidence in that exercise, and then checking in every two years to see how the the portfolio, the finance, and everything else is performing, is enough to do that. And then what happens outside of that, unless there was a bomb blast or or something major that's happening in the location that completely disrupts and changes the equation in terms of the growth scenario. I tend to set and forget and get out of the road.
1: That's a key part. So when you get down to your macro, mid-cro, micro, you get down to your plan allocating into it. It's like, hey, I'm blocking the noise. Whatever's happening to me, to options that are thrown at me, they just don't seem to matter. They're not important and you can put them aside, which I feel like, Bushy, is a good segue to the other part of property investing that people don't talk about. We always talk about, I guess, numbers, markets, um, all the data that we want to be able to get to the hotspot ahead of us. But sometimes it can become a bit of a drug, can't it? Like You just never want to stop talking investing. You never want to stop investing and you want to get from one place to the next place. And then your question's less about your plan and more about how do I get borrowing capacity for the next one? Or how do I get borrowing for the one after? Which are all valid questions, don't get me wrong. But how have you in line with the plan that you've shared with us in terms of coming together with it. How do you, I guess, find the balance between enough is enough and enjoying your income versus, I guess, the drug that is property investing and in where nonstop equity loans get used, you buy more and more, and your target keeps changing? Because this is something I also want to stay conscious of, Bushy. I'm extremely ambitious, and I want to keep going for more. And I want to grow a portfolio. I want to make an impact on the world. And I do not want to stop doing those things. But I think at the same time, when does the snowball of constant debt equity releases? Stop. How do you do that with your experience on this earth, uh, the portfolio you've built, the capacity capability you've done to be able to just go no, look, I can I could tomorrow take out millions if I wanted to Arjun, but you don't. You stay grounded and you figure out that part. Could you give me some insights there?
0: Yeah, I I was very similar when I started, Arjun. Very similar. I think what's grounded me in that respect is the question around what's more important, is it money or is it time? And it's a really key piece because If you're building an empire for the sake of building an empire, then you're going to become a puppet to that master rather than the other way around. For me, as I've said already, time is the most precious resource and the most limited resource we have available. So if we're focused on freeing up our time to put it into things that we really enjoy, and again, Uh, Very few hardworking Aussies take the time to sit down and work out exactly what's important to them, what are their values, what's their vision for their life, and therefore, what sort of lifestyle are they after that's going to generate that? But if we tie that back to the Freedom Forecaster that we spoke about earlier, then it comes down to a simple question, how much is enough to fund your ideal lifestyle? Now, if you don't do that work, and again, I'm going to challenge everyone listening to do that work. And if you want a free copy of Chapter 14 of the Freedom Formula that's going to help you put some shape around that, I'm happy to email it to your listeners, Arjun. So we're uh, more than happy to do that because I provide a bunch of ways of getting excited about creating that.
1: Is there is there a way we can um drop you a note, Pushy, like for anyone who's listening to this?
0: Yeah. So yeah, just email me. Yeah, Just email me at hello, H-E-L-L-O at knowhowproperty.com.au. And Perfect. if you wouldn't mind just sticking that in the, the show notes and I'm happy to email out that chapter because it gives you a, a range of ways of actually working through that. But the real clear bit here, Arjun, is if you're clear on your ideal lifestyle and what that costs, then the endless chase for more becomes irrelevant because you know exactly what's required to get there and you've got those goalposts through the freedom numbers that's going to keep you on track as far as that goes. And I guess conversely to that, though, it's only when you're not clear about why you're investing and what outcome you need that the greed and fear start to kick in because you keep thinking, well, I've got to have more, I've got to have more, just in case I've got to have more. And all of a sudden that becomes an endless chase to, to stress and uh, a whole lot of risk because one of the things that I like to focus on is, yes, property can be very rewarding, but with every reward there's a fair bit of risk. And if you're building, and I'm, I'm particularly concerned at the moment, given how difficult it is from a buying capacity perspective with, this, with everything that's happened to lenders as a result of APRA and the 3% surfacing buffer and everything that goes into that. You know, unfortunately, as you say, I've got a lot of grey hair and I've been around for a, a fair while, so I've seen similar cycles like this in the past. And, you know, the one that's getting the Guernsey again now that was about 10 years ago everyone was talking about it was the Special Purpose Vehicle Trusts that are outside of the residential lending exercise where people can sort of go for broke and they talk about unlimited buying capacity, well, that's okay. But you need to be well aware of the risks of putting yourself in that position because there are dynamics in property. I, I often say, Arjun, there's more dynamics in property conditions than there are combinations on a Rubik's Cube. And that's mm. about 48 quintillion uh, different Permeability options of the, the exercise. So you, know, you need to balance that, uh, the fear and greed exercise of accumulating for the sake of accumulating and just going for more and more money against what is that going to do to the time and the time that you can spend in doing things that's important to you. And that's really grounded me, mate, because it keeps my ego in check. That's reality. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy. You would have seen lots of people in the property space, as you mentioned before, who are bragging about the number of properties that they've got. But there's also a big debt slice sitting in behind that and unless there's very fat rainy day reserves and contingencies in place to cover the property side but also any lifestyle changes, you might lose your job or something, you might have a health issue, then you've just got to balance up that risk-reward exercise and, and keep focused back on time as your most important asset.
1: Wise words, my friend. Very, very helpful indeed. And it's given me kind of that moment to maybe even grab that chapter off you and just think back and just make sure I'm in check with my vision and where I want to take this. I know I am from Investigate. I know I am from Property Nerds. Now it's very rare though that I sit down and do it for myself as in me, myself and I kind of thing. Right. (laughs) Um, but when it comes to the last thing I'd love to know, we're in today's market. We're looking around and there's a few metrics. Now we've gotten portfolio metrics. We've gotten lifestyle by design and crafting your vision metrics. And we've also got thoughts in getting rid of the shining object syndrome. But we're now finding markets today. And you don't have to give us all the metrics, Bushy, but maybe your three or four favorite ones that you go, hey, if these are okay, feel pretty good. And we'll go deeper from here. What are your three or four favorite?
0: Yeah. Let me give me a, a bit of a snapshot on that because I, I tend to rely on reliable and proven property analysts like yourself and and others. To actually provide that information. And it's always a bit of a mix of supply, demand and sentiment metrics that we need to focus on, depending on whether we're going for growth or we focus on cash flow. And the metrics for both of those are, are different. So it's, it's important to keep that in mind. And I also say that I don't rely on one data source. I like to get a number of different sources from independent players and then take an overview of that. And then of course, fact-check the data with local intimate knowledge by independent unrelated parties on the ground. So you've got to get this balance. If you're doing due diligence properly in terms of looking at the exercise, then you've got to balance the desktop data, and there's a lot of data around these days. It's very easy to get confused and buried in that data. But at the end of the day, something can look fantastic on the computer Uh, If you haven't benchmarked with someone who lives and breathes in that local location, so an independent, unrelated property manager, for example, that can actually verify and validate that data, then you're putting yourself in a a dangerous position. But uh, so let me look at the data metrics in terms of the two key bits. And the piece I'll focus on is the capital growth piece, because most people uh, are on the accumulation phase of their journey. There's a few that are are at the cash flow end, but most of them are in that that area, and what I'd like to do is adopt a top-down scarcity approach to that. That looks at that macro to micro to micro. And the one thing that I I suggest investors do around that is to start with establishing what your affordable spend is, and then based on what I call the bare facts, which are how much can you borrow, how much equity do you have, what's the affordability of a property based on your position, and what's the risk associated with that. So that's the I'm a, a shocker for bad and uh, uh, analogies and acronyms, uh, so bear with me on that. But once, because the mistake I see a lot of investors make is they they chase the hotspots, and as you know, hotspots very quickly become not spots because as soon as someone's talking about a hotspot, it's almost too late. So that's from my own experience, at least anyway. So rather than following a hotspot and buying whatever you're going to afford to get in that area, I suggest investors to adopt the approach of if you're in growth. And therefore, the best growth properties are generally three or four bedroom homes on a block of dirt in a tightly held area. Then establish what your affordable spend is first. And so build this out on paper before you do anything. And then identify the highest growth location from the 11 million odd properties and and 15,000 odd suburbs and locations around the country going from a state to a region to a suburb and then a street level, so the property is actually the last thing that you consider because 80% of the growth is generally coming from the the location, not the actual property itself, then you're off to a a pretty good start. And again, at that level, once we get to that level, it's applying the three I's and the three P's. So infrastructure, industry and incomes to uh, get really clear on on what that looks like and then access data like the ABS, MacRindle's, uh, profile ID, logic, real estate investor. There's a whole bunch of different free resources you can tap into to get to that. And then cross overlay that with the three P's that I've already spoken about being the population movements, the purchasing power, and then the property supply being the other exercise that's important to that. So from a, a supplier perspective, you know, the sorts of sources that I've been looking at for the the data we're after, the, the likes of DSRs, data from Jeremy Shepherds, the the, the work that you do personally, uh, John Linderman, SQM, CoreLogic, Terry Ryder. It's really pulling a collation of these exercises, so you're getting a number of validations across that area. And then within the locational piece, There are also some underlying assumptions that I like to apply to what I'm looking at in property, Argent. So, for example, I'm not really interested in an area unless it's got a minimum critical mass of 25,000 people in a regional hub, because below that, there just isn't enough to drive the consistency of ongoing growth. And it's a bit like using the old McDonald's method. You know, if McDonald's restaurant is going into an area, they've got uh, research teams, analysts and demographers uh way more experience than we have, then that's a pretty good indicator area is on a growth path. And also making sure the area going into has a minimum of 70% of owner occupiers in that precinct because if there's too many investors going into an area, it tends to dilute the growth because the pride in the properties is generally driven by the owner occupiers, not the renters. So they're very key pieces of that. And if I apply that to our current scenario, so let, let's look at the property conditions we're looking at generally right here, right now. From a supply perspective, Arjun, uh, we've got very tight rental vacancies, we've got rising rents, we've got very limited stock for sale. You know, you would know better than I historically how low the uh, supply listings are, but they're starting to change a little bit. But we've also got a very troubled construction sector. So that means that in the, the short to medium term, we're going to have some real supply issues, which is evident in the housing crises and the rental crisis that everyone's talking about. From the demand side, though, We've got those borrowing capacity and purchase price challenges that are coming out of the finance sector. And let's face it, we're, we're seeing borrowing capacity reduced by 30 to 40% over the last 12 months. But on top of that, we've got the major drivers of massive population growth. So 400,000 this year, 300 next year, and then 250,000 odd in the years following that. That's a massive uh, demand exercise. So for me, if I was looking at property right here, right now, then I'd be looking at areas and buyers where people are moving to, where there's good purchasing power and there's a limited supply. So if we apply those three eyes to that exercise, the areas that I'd be focusing on right now, and I, I'm a different stage of my exercise, I'm into the cash flow stage of my portfolio. But if I was looking to grow right now, then I'd be I'd be following the paths of cashed up boomers that are downsizing to coastal. Lifestyle regional hubs that are fairly close to the cities because they aren't pressured by borrowing capacity constraints. They're generally downsizing, so they're buying cash. They are driving those areas that's got all those other lifestyle components around it. And it's got those size and demographic components that I spoke about. They're good. On the flip side, if you're going the cash flow route with all of those parameters in play, then I'll be looking at apartments and units where skilled migrants are needing to rent. So we're looking at Melbourne and Sydney, where they tend to actually congregate. If you're at the cash flow end then that's probably where I'll be facing. So that sort of answer your question, mate.
1: mate. Very helpful, my friend. It's always good to get different perspectives, different opinions. And and I think the most important part here is that when people can tune into this episode and go back, they can actually understand a few core takeaways around A formulas of figuring out your end goals, B trying to stay in tune with that and with the right metrics in play from a what makes sense for you and what doesn't, and not falling to the trap of every new thing that comes out. And lastly, a couple of key takeaways, and if there's anything I can say right now that you're very skilled at, is uh, the the naming conventions you give things, the freedom formula, the P's, the I's, the this. Uh, I sometimes get uh, very lazy with that stuff, and I just call property property, do you know what I mean? But uh, overall, you're you're doing a very, very uh, good service to us here, our listeners, and just making sure that we take uh the experience that you bring to the table, and the results that you brought for your own journey and portfolio yourself and Sonia on the journey you've been on. Uh, mate, thank you for today. And uh, in terms of people getting a hands on your book, getting a little bit more about the voice that is Bushy, how how can people can can they get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, really easy, mate. And and again, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you here, mate. I I get really excited and and share your passion. For property and what it can do to transform uh, hardworking Aussies' lives. But for those that want to find out a bit more, if you want to get a, a, I give the Get Invested book, which is part one of the Freedom Formula way for free, which whets your appetite to see whether it's of interest. You can get that by just jumping on uh, either bushymartin.com.au or knowhowproperty.com.au. Uh, so make sure you take advantage of that. If you want to hear more of what we do and, and hear Arjun regularly on our podcast, which is the, it all comes under the property hub now. So if you, you search for property hub, uh, you can tap into the short segments on Realty Talk and the long, long form deep dive discussions on the get invested podcast. So, uh, just search for property hub Australia, uh, podcast and, uh, tune in and it'd, it'd be a good compliment to the fantastic work you're doing here with property nerds, Arjun.
1: Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. And, uh, from everyone tuning in to another episode of the property nerds check out the stuff that Bushy's got going on. And uh, really in terms of scaling out your portfolio, the biggest takeaway for me, it starts at the end and bring it in earlier, not the property to begin with. And just a reminder on those research papers, check them out totally for free, Investikit.com.au. Two big, exciting ones coming up, Australia's rental markets, Australia's housing fundamentals. And if you top it off with a plan that really thinks of the end goal that Bushy talks about, go check out his book and hear from us on the next episode. Take care. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.
0: Game over.